in a world. Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who said? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world. Uh, Hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so. Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, yeah. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron, we both do. Of course, I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust. Like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot. The Crossfire 3, when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch. The JFX 2, if you're looking to up your new swoop game. The Leia, as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast. Or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy, specifically with wingsuiting in mind, She gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe and through the magic once again of the internet. I suppose I got to be a little bit more respectful with you guys because technically I'm looking at my bosses. Kind of, but now fuck that. Who the fuck are you guys and what do you do? Okay, my name is Polly Blue Alam, um, and uh, hopefully I'm a few things, but I'm a, a co-founder of The Edge Agency with Anna Moxness. Um, the Edge is a marketing, content, and events agency. Nice, and, and I suppose you guys jump out of airplanes every once in a while. Mm-hmm, Anna more than me. <laughs> Whenever possible, I like to throw yeah. myself at the Fair enough. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, I, I haven't having had the conversation with your dad of all people. I don't think your dad okay, realized which one's dad. Which one's dad? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holly, your dad. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I had him on the podcast, we were talking for a moment, and I don't think either of us connected who we actually were. Um, and then I went, "Oh, wait a holy shit! I think that's you're 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 my boss's dad." <laughs> 
Dad, as we like to professionally call him. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, we both well, had that moment of transition in our lives where we were Pete's yeah. daughter, or Dave's daughter, and then now they became our dads, which is yeah. Really so cool. this is actually it's actually really kind of cool talking to you both because you guys are both multi generational skydivers. I mean, you come from skydiving backgrounds to start out, so that actually makes the transition very early into how did you guys get started in the sport? You were born into it, really, right? It's actually really funny as well. Anna's uncle and my mum and dad owned, is it the first AFF school or at, yeah. in England together as well? So our family have been in business for a while. while. Yeah, it was called the Freefall Company. So being born into it, was was it uh, like most kids, you naturally rebel against what your parents do? Did you guys push a, a back against skydiving? 100%. <laughs> I went really? and for 12 years mm. with a proper salary and everything just to make sure that I really rebelled properly, you know, and had a nine-to-five job. That'll, <laughs> that'll show them. <laughs> yeah, you how, how bizarre is that, that uh, pushing back against your parents is being a responsible adult? Making sure I finished university and got good grades. And went, ah, <laughs> that'll show them. <laughs> well, so, I mean, how was it, especially in, in England, I know that it's a, a lot of the drive with skydiving is community-based because weather can be pretty prohibitive in regard to the actual jumping. So how was it growing up as, I mean, basically a drop zone brat? Well, you go uh, I thought it was awesome. I thought it's the best playground and it's uh, you, I, I think that children need a village to raise them. So that's a perfect place on a drop zone. No, you get so many different interactions. I think we, we probably crossed paths when we were very small uh, on different drop zones, but then didn't meet again until we were like 22 ish. Yeah. Oh, I was 22. Yeah, I, was, uh, I just finished college. Yeah. And when we lived together in Imperia Brava for a bit as well, but yeah, I, I love growing up in a drop zone. It was a magical place to be. I w- always pretended I was uh, an aircraft uh, engine, like a uh, mechanic, and would make myself little pretend aircrafts and <laughs> fix them and tell everyone. Don't worry, that's our mechanic. Yeah, that's not worries me. And then I'd also used to do shows for people and I'd make them pay to watch me. So, and the skydivers had to be nice because my dad was running the drop zone. So. <laughs> Man, like, make money. And I, that's so, because like as a, when I was in Sebastian as a kid, mm. I uh, I used to sell, I uh, make those friendship bracelets, you know, mm-hmm. and I would make them for skydivers and their colors, like of their canopies and stuff and for tandem people and everything. Mm. And I already knew at that point that I could charge $5 to the local jumpers, but $10 to tandems. <laughs> <laughs> so you were in it from yeah. the beginning, you know. Was yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, I remember, I'm sorry, go on. No, no, please go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, another one to add to that, being a boogie in Poland with my parents and going around and collecting all of the bottles, you could make like a schlotty per bottle or whatever. And skydivers like to drink a lot of beer. So I'd be like dragging a big bag around, just like putting all the beer cans in there. Nice. Nice. <laughs> that actually reminds me of the time I ruined loads of people. Sorry. Sorry no, no, no please go, 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 go. <laughs> How children, <laughs> slavery in yeah. <laughs> excellent there you go you've got your uh, title for the the episode now um no um the i remember ruining about 12 people's cars in sebastian because i was like i'll wash their car i'll wash your car for With you rocks but, but like i didn't know what i was doing i didn't have the right stuff but i remember them coming up and i made i made bank of them coming up and it's ruined i'm like eh. <laughs> get what I'm you 11, pay you chose what this was going for well like a pack job you get what you pay for right <laughs> <laughs> don't bitch to the packer now now let me ask in the uk um are the drop zones like the drop zones in the united states in that a drop zone in the u.s i would have been terrified to have my kid on as she got a little bit older because it was pretty oof you know i mean especially drop zones like cross keys that i worked on that were known for parties and pretty outrageous behavior was it like that or was it like my warped american mind version of brits and very proper and everyone sitting around sipping like it was tea? harry potter of the drop zone yeah. <laughs> i have to ask i have to ask probably definitely a, a reason that i don't remember the drop zones from kind of like 13 14 out like both I removed myself because I didn't think anything that my parents did was cool. You know, and you're just like, anything that they're into is the most lame thing ever. Right. And I, I'm sure my mom put me in another direction. So I wouldn't be hanging out with the drop zone or 
all weekend I think I think I think that's actually a really good point there I think uh, I think all that stuff was always going on and that's part of you know growing up in the sport but I think uh I was trying to think of a uh I was saying this to someone the other day <laughs> I was a teenager or I was a kid so I actually just didn't care like you know you as a parent you're like oh like they're so like affected by all this stuff no, nah, no I didn't care I was off doing other stuff and playing on the drop zone with like my mates and like we were kind of a gang that were kind of feral yeah you know it, it, hiding feral <laughs> drop zone kids roaming and like sh- zombies uh, British drop zones are often bought like built on ex World War Two military bases mm. there's always bunkers always in there and it's mm. half full of dirt and it was like this much space and we're like in there like feral children yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, you know, I guess my my worry, especially with my daughter, um, I was always nervous that she would get into skydiving as she got older into later teenage years, because uh, drop zones, it's pretty highly charged atmosphere, pretty sexually charged atmosphere at times. And I was always terrified having a daughter that would be on the drop zone. I had a, a good buddy named Paul Wetzel that set the fear in me um, when he said the easiest way to get your daughter late is to take her to a drop zone. And it was, yeah, it was terrifying, right? <laughs> I mean, I remember coming when I rejoined the sport, walking, it, it was, you have your dad, your mom, your friends. It's, it's, it's great because they immediately are just like, fuck off to right. anybody that comes near. Uh, so that's how it was I for me. When I, I felt very looked after. Yeah. Nice. That's the awesome thing, right? As a community, we set our own boundaries and that it should always be safe on a drop zone for men and sure. women. Well, I remember talking to Melissa Nelson, who said the same thing. She's like, you know, I had a, a fairy tale childhood growing up on drop zones because everybody knew my dad was Roger Nelson, who'd fucking kill him if yeah. anything <laughs> happened to me. So and I, I suppose I never really looked at it that way because I was always just a drogue throwing tandem instructor that <laughs> yeah, I didn't have that kind of weight, you know. <laughs> I even I mean, I, the thing is, I wouldn't have even uh even just looking at my parents but just like like Leslie or people I grew up with that were always at the drop zone it felt like I had hundreds of aunts and uncles looking out for me and also yeah. like telling my parents when I was doing shitty stuff like yeah. lying under the table tying people's shoelaces together while they were in line for food and nice good stuff. now as you guys got older how long did it take you before you realized that your parents were not only not doing stuff that you didn't like but they were not only they were not only kind of cool in the sport, but actually like kind of badasses. How when did that kick in? It took me, I'd say it took a while. I really like I, I used to meet my mum and dad in England when I went to a primary school, elementary school. Um I they would come to the my mum would always show up at the drop zone in a jumpsuit tied around her waist with a bikini, you know, and they had me quite young, so she was like 26 or something picking me up. And I refused to let them come up the road to pick me up because I was so embarrassed that they weren't like the normal parents. Mm. So I think that probably like that kind of uh, feeling maintained until I think I was about 14, 15 when I was at school in Sebastian. And like they'd come over to the drop zone, like my dad and and Thomas Hughes would come from like skydiving and surfing and they'd pick me up and all my friends would be like there's your family that's so cool and I was like well I guess maybe it is (laughs) (laughs) right well uh, again I I referred to to uh, Melissa Nelson as well she said she hid the fact that she or uh, didn't so much hide the fact but didn't brag about the fact and and uh, just tried to live a, a normal life outside of that because it wasn't, it was so different from what everyone else was doing. So I, I suppose I can definitely see that. But looking back, you have to go, oh man, that was pretty a rare opportunity, right? I, I mean, I loved, I loved the opportunity. I loved, I loved it. It took me a while to realize it was, it was actually cool in a way. Like I loved my childhood, but I also just didn't really talk about it because I think it's not something that my friends would have even understood. Like yeah. there was no, I think when you're a kid, you're just kind of in your own little world anyway. You sure. know what I mean? So it's just like this this little bubble. And maybe it would be, because it, it was maybe a little bit different. Your parents were younger and closer. My parents were running a drop zone. So they they had like a different set of responsibilities. And uh, I, I don't know, I think it would only be maybe weird when I would take, I def, like maybe lost some friends that you take to the drop zone and they're just like, what is this? Do you know what right, I mean? Right. And then you're like, okay, maybe I'm not going to introduce them to this side of my life anymore. <laughs> I suppose. Cool. 
and I then I'll do drop them and I'll be friends with the skydiver kids and I'll be friends with like the pilots kids and we'll keep those things separate. <laughs> I suppose as a younger person, it would be very hard to explain the dynamic on a drop zone because it is so unusual. It really is. Yeah. And, and then also I think with like the, the aircraft and everything around as well, it's difficult for kids to understand like, your parents have a, a plane or whatever. And like, yeah, it's not really how it is, but yeah. it's really wealthy. <laughs> yeah. Not really what you think. Yeah. yeah. The other end, yeah, there's always stories about skydivers in there, and or there's all or somebody dies in the sport and that comes back to. But so yeah, I think I mostly kept those two things a little bit separate when I was a kid. Now so when now, right? Like yeah. you know, I like think you talk to your friends, um, you went to high school or college with and they like the way that our lives are so around drop zones or and like our groups and things like that it to me it's I wouldn't even bother trying to explain it in a way I think because it it's just different yeah yeah, I mean, I still have friends that are are outside of the sport from when I was a How kid. How did you matter this? <laughs> <laughs> I I talked very little about any of it, and I rarely speak to them. <laughs> they don't. It, it, it's it's true. They don't understand the dynamic, and they don't understand the choices you make. And and uh, to an outside eye, uh, the lives that we live on a daily basis look a little Insane. outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but like having said that, I have a, a, a couple of friends. I have one specific friend who's been my mate since I was like three years old. And she's such a badass. Like she's the most relaxed human you could ever meet. And uh, yeah, she would she could be at the drop zone. She did tandem when she a little bit later in life. And she's always like come back into different periods of the of my life and like just really, really enjoyed the skydiving community. So I suppose, yeah, it's 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 how relaxed someone is, I suppose, how open minded they've been brought up as well. Sure. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that tends to draw that type of person into skydiving anyway. I mean, you got to be pretty relaxed to hang with the crowds that we hang with. <laughs> so <laughs> when did jumping enter the picture again for you guys? Because you, you'd finished pushing back on mom and dad, but obviously you both got back into the air. So um, I mean, I guess my story is probably a little shorter because you, you've done a lot more in skydiving so I can quickly talk to it but uh I mean I did my first tandem when I was nine in Italy the second one I was 10 and then I think I did my AFF when I was 16 uh, which I'm not sure I have done um shh, don't worry about it um and I think I did about 50 jumps over a year or two and I kind of always known that I was going to do my AFF but I wasn't like I just, I kind of was like, oh, if I don't do it, that's crazy, you know. So it, I, you know, went to the old tunnel in Orlando and did my AFF and got to jump with, you know, total badasses that I just didn't realize really <laughs> even coming or whatever. Um, and then I tried to do, I tried to jump. Uh, I moved to England to finish high school so I could go to university there. And uh, the weather's lovely, so <laughs> you really got to want to skydive. And I think I did two jumps in the rain and was like, oh, I don't like this this much this is not that great and I also was really entering a different phase in my life so I didn't jump for 10 years I think I completely just was like well if I'm not and I just it was never current enough so the fear was just always like kind of making yourself go to the drop zone getting in the plane having the whole thing and then I'd I'd say at that point actually having having the Alan name was almost a bit more pressure because I'd get to the drop zone and they're like you're 23 like why aren't you why aren't you like why can't you fly your parachute like your dad? It's not how it works. <laughs> it's, kind, how it works. <laughs> it's kind of funny that you mentioned the the fear factor in that because a lot of people would think someone that's raised around the drop zone would have gotten kind of past that. And it's almost refreshing to hear that someone who was literally around it her entire life still had to cope with the fear of going out and jumping. Because from my perspective, obviously everybody has their own thing, but I used to be terrified driving to the drop zone. I had a marker on the highway that I would allow myself to turn around and go home with my head held high if I turned around by them. But if I drove past it, I had to go it's make windy. a fucking skydive. Yeah, absolutely. Praying for bad weather and people don't understand. Why the <laughs> fuck do you want to do something that's so horrifying? 
and you can't explain what it's like the instant you let go of the airplane, all that goes away, and you don't remember it until you're driving back to the drop zone that next time. So it's very refreshing to hear that even someone that was raised around that still had to deal with that fear factor. I mean, you, did you experience the same? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I was actually surprised about it a little bit, you know, because I think I was maybe like a little bit blasé and the same thing thinking like, so is my uncle who uh, taught me as well, who with retrospect now, I think that it was the best way to deal with my personality. But he was like, he's a super professional AFF instructor, right? He's got heaps of experience. Him and your dad must have done I don't know, thousands of AFF jumps together. And um yeah, he was just like, yeah, you know this, you know this as we go through the course, like, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And so then I like left, like, oh, it's not going to be fucking easy. Like, and then the next day walking to the plane and my legs were so heavier with fear that I really didn't think I was going to be able to put one foot in front of the other. Like, I really remember, I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to collapse right here on the walk out to the plane in the middle of skydiving in Peru Bravo where everyone's fucking cool. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and he also put me in a purple corduroy jumpsuit and a bright pink bugging uh, protect helmet. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> and I was like, cheers, bro. Uh, and but and and he just looked at me and he was like, Don't worry, Anna, it's a beautiful day to die. And I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And so I realized that he was having a very good time and I wasn't. Right. And it, was, it was it was really, really, really difficult for the first uh, three jumps. And then I kind of had a, a moment there that uh that switched things around a little bit for me and I felt a little bit more like it was when like he let me go in AFF and I felt I had some kind of control and I wasn't just a passenger and then that the the fear started to reduce a little bit from then so yeah the more that you learn uh it should be the more the fear goes away right sure well you do get or, that and that... then you go to a full circle <laughs> where you start to know and then you're like Fucking, now I know how the engine works which means I know how it can fucking break. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the thing, right? I mean, at, at one point the the switch gets flipped, and you're like, okay, I I'm willing to accept the fear that I'm going through because yeah. I know I can handle it, and I know I can handle what's coming up. And then you start something new, and the whole fucking cycle starts again, and you're years into the sport and thousands of jumps, shitting your pants again. It's yeah. just. I remember Which, going through my rigging license and having a moment, like looking up my canopy going, it's just string. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fucking string, man. It's like string. <laughs> I think the first time I really, uh, I didn't have a lot of gear fear, but the first time that it really kicked in for me was the first time I ever watched someone pack a parachute and it dawned on me as I'm watching it. I'm like, those are fucking rubber bands. <laughs> rubber, what the fuck are rubber bands doing in this? <laughs> This should not be a part of this. I don't understand. And and then, of course, you had to jump your first pack job, and it was horrifying. Ah, terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. And the first low jump, terrifying. It's like, what do you even mean? I can't get out here. <laughs> well, and on top of everything, uh, you guys are doing it with a bunch of Brits who are the most sarcastic, dry. Nice. I think that that's great, though. I think that really helps. Like, I do. You start getting a little bit too self-important, and then you need someone to rip the piss out of you and everything. You're like, oh, yeah. I find uh, I, when I've not been around England for a while, like, you go back, and I'm like, oh, I've got to sharpen my skills. And yeah. <laughs> Everyone's it's, been too nice to me in yeah. America. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it's funny because... Uh, it would never be said on a drop zone oh, in God. England. Maybe now, maybe now. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I've been working consistently with Brits for, what, 28 years now? And, um, yeah, if you don't thicken your skin really quickly, you're not going to last. You know, yeah. I mean, brutal to the nth degree and thankful for it. Because, But the, the the deal is you never know when you're being insulted because it's so dry. Most and of it, the time. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. But the caveat is that uh, nobody's going to do that with you unless they actually really like you because it's mm-hmm. like an exchange of trust, yeah. right? Yeah. So if someone's polite to you, like, ooh, they don't like me. Exactly. <laughs> I always get that. I feel a bit, yeah, people, uh, was, I was with a group of friends a while ago and another friend was there and they were like, do you guys like each other? And I was like, this is our love language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I have a close friend, uh, actually an American friend, but he and I have both worked with Brits for many years, and and uh, I don't think Derek and I have said a nice word to each other in twenty years. And I love the guy; he's as close to a brother as you'll ever get. But we've both worked around the English for so long that you kind of take that on. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I get... Wales, yeah, just Welsh. Oh, <laughs> so we fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> 
I uh, I got the nickname uh, from a Brit um, twenty shit twenty eight years ago. I got the nickname of Princess, but because I got it from a Brit. I was so happy that he was insulting me that I embraced that nickname and I've had princess for 20, 28 years now. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty good. It's because. Andy Ford has that sometimes as well. Yeah. Really? (laughs) It's a good nickname. (laughs) So yeah, no, it served me well. It served. So you've gotten back or you, I should say you've gotten into the sport. uh, You've uh, embraced that, which you push back against, but when did you decide, all right, this shit's not just a pastime. This is for me, especially you. And I mean, you, you've gone balls to the wall for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Man, I don't know. Uh, I was really, in like a full swing moment of passion and the it was so unfathomable to me that anything like competition skydiving or working in the sport or like jumping for a living uh, could be something that's possible for a mere mortal mm. because I just saw I, I thought everybody was so cool you know which is which was a big inspiration uh behind the edge where mm. I started that, and it was the same time when Holly was around in Puria then uh, because we realized that there was so much more professional work that could be done. And I also felt that so many skydiving athletes were underrepresented, you know? Uh, so it was a really, I was like, guys, like we could definitely sort this shit out. Mm. Uh, but yeah, in the meantime, I, I was, I worked for UPT as well. And I was working with Cookie a little bit and I was on the road because it seemed like a, a really nice way to get to skydive with a lot of different people because I was uh, inspired to jump with the different free flyers was to be at all of these different events. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I cruised around, jumped with a lot of different people and yeah, somehow it just got out of control. And then I, because I would be on the drop zone uh, running a stall and then I remember um, one time one of the guys running the event came over to me and was like, hey, we're down an organizer. Like, can you come and help? And I was like, that seems like a silly fucking idea because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, I think it was, maybe it was Fabian Rydell was there working at the time. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you're going to be great. Just go and do that. And then I kind of switched sides accidentally. And it became, I could, uh, I could actually work as an organizer and I, I wasn't running stalls anymore, which was really good because I never wanted to blow up another tent in my life or put up another wind blade. Because I and I, I really, I really didn't want to take anybody's measurements either because I'd taken so many hundreds of thousands of measurements, and uh, they would. All, and then people for many years afterwards, when I'd stop measuring for rigs and suits, they'd be like, "Anna, can you take my measurements? You're so good at it." And I'm like. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so luckily, that doesn't happen anymore. But of course, if anybody, if you need your measurements, I'll help you. Uh, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And then I was kind of maybe starting to think like I'd been organizing for a really long time. I'd done some amazing stuff with Amy and the girls, and we'd done a lot of records. And I, I started to feel like uh, it was possible that you, you know what else am I? I wasn't sure what else I could do naively uh, and I tried out for the Norwegian free fly team the year before and uh, I wasn't accepted and then actually that's when we started the the joy riders uh, and we got that whole thing going and then we start and we were competing and then it was maybe my first like trickle into competing when I started doing uh, d4w with the joy riders and I loved it and it was insane and it was uh, like I had every part of me crushed to my bare nothingness, you know? Every, I thought I was a cool organizer or whatever. I knew nothing, I could do nothing. I was useless at everything. Uh, I was a weak one, I, you know, I was just, yeah, I was just completely crushed. And uh, I remember going through a moment actually with Eliana, who I just really luckily had to spend the last few days with, uh, like a, a pivotal moment where I was like crying and I don't know if I can do this team thing anymore and all the girls are against me blah 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 and she was just like yeah that's kind of how it is <laughs> I was like oh okay uh cool so I went and I carried on with the girls and we had like the best ride of our lives with that team and then uh yeah a couple of years later they were trying out for uh, a new Norwegian national team and the guy that was in charge of all the national teams at the time said he had been really inspired by how instead of giving up when I hadn't got a place on the national team that I'd gone out and kind of created my own thing. Mm. Uh, so he's like, you should try out now. And I was like, dude, I'm way too old. 
Like, what do you even mean? He's like, no, no, come on. And he, he maybe thought I was only going to do it for a year. And then seven years later, um, two <laughs> <were> titles. <laughs> yeah, we we just, yeah, we, it was another great, great adventure. So well, it's kind of funny how you, when you start out, uh, well, that's one of the best things about skydiving, right? Is that your heroes are so accessible and the people yeah. that are, are cutting edge are the first ones that are going to hop on a load with a no name and, and go out and have some fun. At least that's the way it should be. And that's the way that I've always seen it be. Uh, and then to go from that and having soul crushing experiences like you had. But the funny thing is the badasses that will absolutely destroy you during competitions are all the, also the first ones to buy you a beer afterwards and give you tips on how to do the same to them next time yeah. around. It's yeah. such a badass experience. And then here yeah. you are, you know, world champions and titles all over the place later. And people Enjoy. are looking at you the exact same way. Yeah. And then that's weird, right? Because in your mind, in so many ways, you're just still that person rocking up onto the drop zone. I don't know what I'm fucking doing, man. Like, why yeah. ask me, you know? But so isn't that... It's, yeah. Isn't that the great thing, though? I, I, I mean, the the idea for me of a true amazing athlete that's crushing it is the one that still probably secretly thinks that they're a fraud waiting to get caught. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> really? I mean, it's it's the because it's the sky god thing, right? That you get somebody that actually believes in their own hype, and that's the last person in the world I want to jump with. It's the <laughs> one that. It's the one that knows they're fallible that is the true badass that still knows yeah. that they've got a lot to learn. Yeah, yeah. The more you learn, the less you understand, that's for sure. Right. And the more, the more you learn, the more you, you want to be better. You, yeah, you just uh, you want to continue to grow. I think oh, also that if you want to go – sorry, go on. No, no, please, go ahead. I, I was. I think if you, you kind of get into this experience where you go full crazy with something because, like – I, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's probably some kind of disorder, to be honest. <laughs> but maybe it's because like, yeah, things are a little bit awkward for you. So it, it training is a, it, you can do this, you know, like this is the thing you set out for the day, you know what you're going to do. You have like markers that you can get better at. So it's a really comfortable place to be. Sure. Uh, and then all of a sudden, if you, and maybe you never expect to actually become um, better at something, but it, yeah, then you're, your transition to a, a place where uh, there's an expectation or or maybe you really liked it. The, or for me, at least, I, like, I loved the drop zone because it would be a bunch of people that would just take the piss out of each other all the time. Like there's no expectation. We go and have a full good laugh, you know. And then all of a sudden you're into, okay, now you're there's something that you're supposed to deliver at the drop zone, you know? And and then that's, that's a different mindset to step into for sure. Sure. So... But I, I really look forward to this year being out of training uh, and and just getting back into full piss take at the drop zone because that's really where I'm having my goals. best time. <laughs> I, I mean, that is a that is a huge difference, right? When there's there's nothing at stake other than, you know, going out and having fun and, and uh, uh, you know, doing something that's a little bit more enjoyable. We also immediately turn that into an opportunity to just insult the living shit out of the people we and care most about. <laughs> Exactly right. And I think through all of this like cycle I've been through at the moment, like I really, really love training. I really, really love progressing. But I could also like just go out, holding hands with my best mate, looking at the plane and have a fucking time of my life. Do you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Oh, so yeah. often where everybody's so or everybody superlatives, not supposed to use them. We're often concerned so much with all our, our, our growth and our progression that, you know, we mustn't miss the joy in the journey as well, because mm. uh, that's super important. Hashtag joyrunners. Hashtag joyrunners. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the most freeing things I ever learned in the sport of skydiving was... Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> One of the most Sorry. freeing things I ever learned was that I'm an average skydiver. And that yeah. took so much weight off of my shoulders because it meant that I always had something to learn. I would happily admit that I'm probably going to be the one that's going to fuck this skydive up. But it just turned it into a complete joy because there was no pressure involved, right? It was just going out, having fun with my friends and, and having a good time. And I think that's probably what kept me away from too much competition because I was just having so much fun being average at what I did. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, maybe a great metaphor for life as well, right? If we uh, realize our own insignificance, it helps us so much. But uh, 
I mean, I have the same mentality about skydiving that the people in the 60s did about acid. If you could just dose everybody once, the world would be a dramatically better place. I like that. Yes. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, honestly, how many people in the normal world have the opportunity to find out what living in the moment really is? Yeah. Very, very okay. few. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree. And it's something I think that we've talked about this a lot and it drives us is not just for a passion from within our own sport, uh, but the way that like now uh, with tandem skydiving, you know, well, now it's not a new thing. I don't know. Have you heard about this? Thing. Tandem skydiving. But instead of like, when someone tells me like they've done a tandem, I'm like, yeah, you're a skydiver. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, it makes our family bigger. That's really fucking cool. Like, welcome to the dark side. We have cookies. Yes. You know? so, uh, including every, you know, and encouraging them to come again. And yeah, we're, we've definitely like put, pushed that through our work and it's transferable to other sports. Well, it's well. a huge thing, right? I mean, I'm, at the end of the day, the biggest part of learning how to skydive is overcoming that fear to make that first jump. So if even yeah. you've, if you've only made one tandem in my eyes, you're still a skydiver to some degree because you did the single hardest thing that any jumper does. You did that first jump and hats off. Cause I mean, it's a very small percentage of human beings that will ever experience that. So you're a member of a pretty elite club when it comes down to it. Right. So it's uh, my teammate. Mike, Delan's hit show. Let me get that in there. <laughs> she's going to be doing the, what's, what's it called? Shame the Sham, Shamrock Showdown. She's, oh, she's really? Against uh, Arizona uh, Airspeed. I'm on the drop zone at the same time as Arizona Airspeed. I'm so, I'm, I'm so excited to enjoy Holly at competition because competition stresses the shit out had. Like, so I'm just going to be sitting at the bar and I'm going to be uh, watching Holly. We're like, how's it going, babes? My name, <laughs> our name's Delan's hit show because the hashtag is Delan's shit show. <laughs> Different competition level. We're talking about. <laughs> um, but I, I remember on like a certain day, it's a four-way FS because um, you know that's we get we get some uh, excellent free coaching. Thanks, Dad. Okay. Um, but uh, I remember we were like stressed out or something, and uh, my teammate Mike was like, "It's just four-way." He's like, "Try like try to imagine explaining skydiving in general to like non to non skydivers." And then like four way, like, he's like, no one cares. He's like, even skydivers don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. It's so wonderful about our sport, right? We, I think uh, me, Mox and Fred were sitting talking about uh, like all free fly history the other day. And we must've been speaking for about five to six hours, just about specific old school skydivers, old school free flyers. And uh, I was like, wow, we're probably the three only people in the whole world that care about this, you know, and we love it so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember uh, uh, sitting at the desert drop zone in uh, um, Dubai and a newer jumper was sitting on the packing mat next to me. We were shut down. I, I wasn't flying at the time. And uh, Omar Al-Hijalan was out there doing some organizing. And a few people had mentioned him and were talking about him a little bit. And this newer jumper turns to me and so who is this Omar guy? And I almost slapped him. I'm like, <laughs> that's the Omar. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, there are other Omars, but that's the Omar. I'm like, don't get it twisted. <laughs> yeah, I love Omar so much. Yeah, like, you know, uh, you know, yeah. it, it, and I remember my my journey started right around the right about the time that uh, Omar and Olav and the boys were kicking it all off with the Chronicles ah. videos. You know, I mean, ah. I was I was in the the ghetto in a trailer watching an old VCR tape of Chronicles one along with South Park back and forth back in the day. And that was when you'd watch Olav, you know, jogging upside down to the camera, doing a couple of loops and then running away going, Oh my God, Holy shit. What did I just see? I gotta, I gotta do that. You know? And, and to all these years later, have someone not even know who Omar was or any of the history was just almost sacrilegious to me. <laughs> Yeah, you got to sit them down and be like, right, you're watching this, 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 and this. I've done that. Yes, yes, and 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 then you have to put the caveat, <laughs> yeah. and you always have to put the caveat in there. These guys had to learn 45 seconds at a time because there were no yeah. tunnels back then. Yeah, it it definitely. Listen here, young whippersnappers. Yes, when we walked to school in the snow. No, yeah. Right? And when I was in Dubai recently, I got to do a jump with Omar and I had, I mean, it's probably one of the best jumps I've ever done. Like mm. I had a 
it was a super pleasure to jump with him and we it just it it jammed it was real nice and I remember like we were breaking off face to face and we're head up and I was like oh my god I'm in crosswinds life level achieved awesome awesome by the way for for anybody listening that has no fucking clue about that crosswinds (laughs) Crosswinds is a video. I will sit you down and make you watch it. Yeah, Crosswinds is a video that you absolutely should watch. And it has the best head-up scene with Omar. Yes, yes. I remember I was at a birthday celebration for Omar a few years back, and um, uh, we'd, we'd become friends over the previous couple of years. And he's so nice that yeah. you have to wonder what's wrong with him. Because, <laughs> right? I'm it like... I'm like, nobody can. No, he's just nice. (laughs) Yeah. But I had to ask him and it was in front of a room full of all his friends. Yeah. No, I actually asked him. I'm like, dude, how the fuck are you this nice in front of all his friends? I'm like, I don't understand. How can you possibly be this nice? Because I was just blown away by how giving he is in the sport and how outgoing he is just as a person was absolutely floored by it. And uh, for that to be the guy who I had hero worship for in 96, and now I'm asking him stupid questions at his birthday. Or interviewing him when we were up towards Mount Everest when they were doing the Everest jumps was just, again, it just speaks to how amazing the community is and how accessible your heroes from every generation in the sport are. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, Holly, your dad included, you know, sitting and talking. Sitting and talking to your dad, Holly, or or um, I just had Scotty Milne on the podcast. He's going to be released as well. Rock star human beings in the sport that are just willing to sit down and shoot the shit with you. It's so cool. It really is. I, did think, um, I remember, I think, especially kind of growing up with with dad and how much I'd always see that he would give to people in the sport that would ask questions and that he'd have the time and that. Now, when you see people um, that aren't quite as nice and kind of maybe believe their own hype a bit, um, you're always a bit like, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you think that's a, a that's a, a a kind of a byproduct of the social media age that we're in and that it's all about personal hype? I would say, um, well, obviously, as someone who uh, spends a fair amount of time on social media, um, I would say that twats have always walked among us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think, I think the, I think the people who are driven to the sport because they want to be a skydiving influencer or something like that, you know, maybe social media has kind of made that they're more aware of it. But I think it's also the the good thing I would say about social media is it's also made loads of people who would never have even been aware about the sport. Like how often, like um, I live in Deland, have I like been out in town and people are like, there's a drop zone here. And you're like, <laughs> you don't know there's a drop zone here and you've lived here your entire life like yeah. how many people have discovered the sport through social media because they managed to see like a, a viral reel or have way more awareness it's also what and and it's why we also love working in that space is we feel that we have a good insight to the sport and the different athletes and sure and we wait real experience over uh maybe purchased likes or you know and it it's a yeah, it's a it's something that we've always been quite passionate about from the beginning to just uh, representing and helping real athletes, and it's the sure. same with the brands that we work with too. Like, sure. uh, we don't we're not working with anyone who we think is a dickhead. Like, end off. Yeah, it's <laughs> much better working. It's like, yeah, and it's like huge dickhead warning. Yeah, we're not going to do that. But it's also so weird when you when like when you say that to people and they're like oh wow that's awesome and you're like you that do it too be that crazy <laughs> like that like you shouldn't work with people that aren't nice if somebody's right. not nice you don't work with them it's quite simple yeah but that's the that's the so-called real world right i mean you're groomed in the real world that you just have to put up with whatever shit's thrown at you because that's the job but it doesn't have to be that way well actually uh that was kind of the way i came back into the the sport after a nine ten year break i uh I was working for a tech startup company, which I loved. Um, I was in New York and I was really enjoying it. Um, But I'd spent time working for a few marketing agencies and some publishers, Vice Magazine um, as well. That was a big Um, one. I went to visit her. It was very cool. (laughs) (laughs) But um, 
you know, I was, I had a really good job. I really liked people I worked with, but it was, I was definitely starting to feel, I don't know, a little, like there was something else. And my, I remember my mom called me and was like, okay, you've been working long enough in the real world and you've been making some good money. There's a job at Performance Designs. They're looking for somebody to do social media and content. I think you should apply. And I did. And then two weeks later, I left my job and moved to DeLand and there you go. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> This, that's one of my favorite things about this podcast. And, and speaking of the social media aspect and not working with assholes, the other thing is, too, <laughs> the people that you have following the accounts and the work that you're doing truly have a passion for what they're following. So the follows the followers that you have are there because they dig what you do. Uh, yeah. They're not bought followers. The people that yeah. listen to this podcast listen to it because they want to hear the stories of a bunch of jumpers, which is awesome. Do you know, I don't suppose you, do you know the photographer, Tim Tadda? Maybe. Really good. And like (laughs) we were, Holly's, you studied photography, didn't you? And like, so it's super passionate. Like this is one thing I never experienced on on social media before. Like he followed us. I was like, (laughs) yes. Oh my God. I took a picture of a screenshot in it, sent it to all my photographer friends. I was like, ha, ha. The coolest thing I ever had happen to me was I submitted a, a, a skydiving video to Aussie Man Reviews. That was my big thing. He took it. <laughs> he actually did it. I was like, oh, my God, that's the real world. That's something in the real world. Yeah. So how did the how did the idea of the agency start? First off, tell me about the agency. Um, what exactly is it that you do? How did it get started? Do you want to take the start and then I'll... Yeah, I think I, I said a little bit already about the start. We started back in uh, 2008, uh, and that was with the going on the road and the representing different brands. Uh, and then all the way, I mean, when did we launch in the States? It was in... Time has no meaning. Uh, is, it four, is it four years ago? Almost four. I, maybe four years. We miss every year anniversary. Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, it was maybe also a PIA. We started it was, to draw which some, is very funny because we're heading to PIA. We're heading to PIA, our first PIA together. Um, it, it was like um, I needed more organization. Holly is awesome. And we'd been doing a very similar work, but in different areas. Holly at a higher level uh, in, in London and working with Vice Magazine and super experienced in specifically social media. I've been doing a lots of different marketing, uh, some direct marketing. And uh, yeah, we decided that we would use what we've learned in the skydiving industry and, and offer it to, to everybody. Mm. So taking what we'd learned in a niche area and, and start to... Yeah, branch out a little bit. So we set up, so we now have a company in Europe and we also, four years ago, we set up the LLC in the States. And since I'd say the conception of the LLC, it's just gone like uh, all of the things that have we'd ever conceived for the last like 10, 12 something years. Now they're happening, you mm. know, which is really weird. <laughs> and we've we've like we've probably learned more. We're like we've really learned a lot as well in the last four years, as I'd say. I'm tired. We're all learning stuff. Yeah, Anna <laughs> always says she's like there'll be an experience or something, and she's like, "Oh, Holly, don't worry though. This is good. It'll just be another good story for us." And I'm like, Anna, we have enough. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Have enough, <laughs> enough character building already. <laughs> yeah. My character is fully formed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, and and I think that that's we're definitely entering a new ass-kicking stage. You know what I mean? Like uh, get getting getting becoming more successful and having more clients and interesting projects to work on. Stuff doesn't really get easier. It sure. it definitely becomes. And I'm, I'm, sorry, yeah, yeah, I just talk a little more. So, like the the agency itself kind of has some core elements that we offer. So one is that we are a full service marketing agency. Um, we do specialize. As I see professional. <laughs> balance yeah <laughs> um uh we do specialize in social media as anna mentioned i mean i've been working in social media for over too long this many wrinkles um and uh 12 years or something but um i one of the things that we were really passionate about was having people that work with us that work on accounts that they love that are like the ultimate fans of those accounts mm-hmm. and so that really kind of formed us, as you know, yes. um, part of the Edge Collective yourself. It's a cult. I love it when it sounds like that. <laughs> um, is pairing brands with the right people from the collective where they're like, oh, we love that. We love that product. Yeah. We love what they stand for, the lifestyle, because 
like, then your job is easy. And sure. You know? so, we love work. We yeah, talked about this a lot. I love working. Like when someone's like, oh, you want another day off? You're like, no, it's Saturday. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. Yeah. Let me do it. Um, so with that in mind, that's really what we wanted to create with our team was that yeah. they were as passionate as the brands and were excited and wanted to see their success. So that's the social media side, but we do the everything from email marketing to uh, marketing strategies to blog posts and mm. everything else in between. Um, we do a fair amount of content production, um, photography, videos, events, ev- and then events is a huge one. Um, Anna's been running events in skydiving and in the real world for for yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> Fashion shows, even yeah, ev- anything you can imagine it. If you need to promote it or sell it, <laughs> and we like you, and <laughs> we like you, we do it. Well, that, and I think that's actually really important. You know, we as the same with our collective, it's about as a brand approaches us thinking if it's the right fit. You know, obviously if we're approaching a brand, we've already seen that there's a really good fit there and we think that we've got something to offer. Mm. But it's also really important to us to be honest where a brand approaches us where we could be like, hey, we actually don't think there's a good fit or we don't think we'll be the right ones to tell your story. Mm. Um, We'd much rather be honest and us all enjoy the process together. Um, and well, I think that keeps... Really- that keeps you guys with a positive reputation, right? Because the worst thing in the world you can do is take on an account that you can't fulfill properly. Then you just get a shit reputation for doing a bad job. Exactly. Yeah, man. And I've always had that. I don't know. Like uh, I've never, I've always had been lucky maybe in the beginning and had such great mentors in business that I think like have told me things like, <laughs> Cookie told me once, like, thing is, Anna, you just never want to work for the man. <laughs> I was like, yeah, bro. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I met them when they were just building uh, their sh- it, from their shed. Do you know what mm. I mean? And I set my soul up next to them and decided, like, a mate of mine had had a double malfunction. And uh, he was convinced that his cookie helmet saved him. And he was talking about these guys from Oz. And uh, I, I thought, like, I really have to meet them. So I, like, snooked in, set my stall up next to them, started sure. talking to about them, with them about rugby, took them out for a curry. We got on, all got on really, really well. <laughs> we were sent, English slash Welsh. We were in England. We were in England. Uh, yeah, and then, like, messaged them the week later to tell them how they were going to be working, with, why they needed me. <laughs> Apparently, Cookie tells me this. I don't remember I was so blunt you know and how I was gonna make it work for them and we had such a, a great relationship then together for like 10 years I think and then I, I was now I'm an athlete with them but yeah I've always had great mentors we've always worked with people that we really really love and brands that we really really love and then it's not work and that's the thing with our collective you know sure, sure. All, almost all of the people that we work with it's not their main job they want to live in their van they want to surf they want to fly they want to do other things but they also need to eat you sure. know <laughs> So sure. we we have like a structured environment that they can do the creative about things that they're just completely passionate about because then really it doesn't feel like work. And then the customers they get the or the our clients they get the best from each creative then. Sure. Because it's somebody in a box that's forced to write something cool in a way, you know? It it comes well, there were a you few things. Yeah, yeah. Well, there were a few things that I really appreciated about it because when I approached you guys, goodness, it would have been probably close to two years ago now, um, I kind of just needed an outlet for uh, creativity. Uh, Blue Skies Magazine had stopped. I'd been writing for them for 10 years and and had always taken it for granted that I just got to, you know, vomit my ideas out onto pages and they would print it. And I, I was really kind of stagnant not being able to do that. And what I appreciated about everything was that you guys were looking for people that were passionate, that fit specific brands, but weren't shy to say, this is changed direction. We're going to look for something different for you. I appreciated that. I have a very specific tone <laughs> and a very specific way of, of you know, delivering my way of, of selling things. But I need someone that's going to say, yeah, your tone's not good for this brand, but maybe <laughs> this one or that one. And I liked that. I really, I really did enjoy that. And it was nice to know that, um, the way that you guys approach things is just because you don't fit one brand doesn't mean that down the road, you're not going to fit something else. So it's not rejection. It's just a, Hey, we're going to wait until you are a better match for something else. You know I mean? For somebody like me, there's a blue skies magazine comes along once in a lifetime that lets me write literally anything I wanted and just had a blast with it. You know, uh, not to mention then, and, and poor Holly, you can attest to this. I'm really bad at paperwork. Like, <laughs> 
I'm really bad at paperwork. Oh. She had to make a video presentation to teach me how to do the spreadsheets, and I still fuck them up. I love spreadsheets as much as I do. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can. So yeah. I can fly planes and I can write, but I no, no, I'm bad at paperwork. Yeah, it's it's not an uncommon thing, and, and so that's how we kind of work, right? We match creatives with strategic people, and mm. within every creative, like you're definitely a strategic person as well, right? But in different moments in your life, there'll be the different strengths that kind of put their head up. And by matching these people and by the working structure we have, we see that it brings out the best in people, you know, sure. and that you're never bad at anything. It's just, you're going to move over here, you know, yeah. and, and that, or you're, you, I, for me, I need change. I need things to change because I'll get very bored creatively quite quickly. Mm. So, but I also really need structure. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm a human. <laughs> so yeah, we really, really like this that we can always flex and move and change and adapt to who we've got and what we've got flex. Yeah, you know. Well, it's it, of us right now in terms of the where that agency is moving. So um, you know, a big uh, a, a change that we had at the end of the year, beginning of uh, this year was um, to take me out of the kind of marketing director role where I was sort of the day-to-day day-to-day in the weeds with the agency with clients and all the team members because we realized that you know we want to take this further um and see what else we can achieve so we were super lucky we've had shaney couch working ah, with us for years now yeah and the, uh, the coolest person in the world no big deal pretty no much deal. she pretty much is shaney couches i mean hands yeah. down yeah hands down. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's gonna be so we caught world. her yeah. and then we didn't let her go and we're not gonna <laughs> So uh, she's she's really running the agency for us now um, and doing exceptional work, but it really allows us as well. And kind of in what you were saying about changing and realizing we need different things at different times that if, you know, if we want to take this to the next level uh, that we need to be focusing on our, our business and our brand as well. Sure. Now is uh, what's the, give me a five-year goal for the agency. Where do you guys see yourself aiming? We'll that that. <laughs> right. um, I think yeah, go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think a really big thing that um, you kind of mentioned this earlier was that, you know, we we grew up in this sport. Um, we're so grateful for everything that sports offered us. And I think the, the way it allows us to think about community, the way it allows us to communicate with niche sports in a way has been something that we've been really enjoying in the last year or so, opening up to people outside of skydiving. Mm. So still saying like, you know, if a brand approaches us, uh, for example, we work with um, a TV show, um on outside tv channel called beat monday and the guys are all about getting the most out of uh friday from 5 p.m till monday 8 a.m so hiking mountains skiing every mountain in california they they wanted to do the aff in a weekend they would like chatting to us about it but the the con for me where i really think it's exciting is taking it further and just continuing to work with uh brands we admire people we admire but taking it beyond and kind of uh discovering new communities exactly which is uh change and growth for us as well as individuals Mm. and it's it's super interesting uh and yeah growing the opportunities for the collective for all of the people that work with us like that's uh, really inspiring they're such amazing people and we want to keep working with all of these individuals and we Mm. want so we're like yeah, we've got to keep them interested, you know. <laughs> but it's also allowed us to secret squirrels in the Um no, but it's also made us realise, you know, we we've over, you know, ten to fifteen years, we've taken a really long time to build up our skills within social media, within marketing, and we also need to train people um to come on to our, our team and have those skills, which is allowing us now to start building out courses within our kind of wheelhouse. Um, that's something that will have it as its own product as well nice. for people who either to, to maybe work in the space or want to figure out how to do it for their own brands but can't actually afford an agency because at the end yeah. of the day we respect that like you know I think we were just speaking to a, a company the other day and they were like we want to work with you so much but we're like crowdfunding to finish our app we don't have the the money right now and we're like well we want you to succeed because we believe in what you're doing yeah. so there's got to be another way that we can work with them so yeah well domination yeah. Nice, nice. Well, I, 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 sure. 
<laughs> well, I've definitely seen a few uh, a few posts specific to the edge and specific to the vision that you guys have got come out lately, uh, which is really neat to see as well, because I think there are a lot of people out there that would love to take advantage of the opportunities that social media has to offer. And let's face it, social media is not going anywhere ever again. I mean, we're in it. This is this is the very beginning. It's just going to keep getting more and more. Um, so people that are, are kind of floundering and have no idea what the hell they're getting themselves into are going to turn to people like you that clearly have been doing it for quite some time and have a base of knowledge that can help forward their careers. Yes, exactly, exactly that. Exactly. Thank, you. Thank you. You should come and work for yeah, us. Yeah, that sounds, you should definitely do that. You think? All right, I'll consider it. I'll consider okay. it. <laughs> so as we wrap things up, I want you to um, tell, first off, tell everybody how they follow the edge, uh, Anna, how they follow your competition, all the jumping. And now you're not competing anymore, but you're out playing and, and taking the piss out of people. So yeah. <laughs> Where yeah. where do they come? I think we, we might go. We we're actually thinking with Zion that maybe we're going to do a crew team. So we might because you know we're of that age now, right? So maybe we're going with crew dogs. It's going to be real fun. Nice. So yeah, that's the next way I'm going to scare myself half shitless is being in some kind of canopy rap. I'm sure shouting at my teammates. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're my, the the teams are Zion Free Fly and the Joy Riders. So it's Joy Riders Life on Instagram and Joy Riders on uh, Facebook and The Edge. So The View from The Edge on Instagram, um, that's probably the best place in terms of day-to-day updates, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, and for people who want to know more about the company, uh, theedge.no is the, the bigger company. Because the edge.no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I that's like it. Um, and then specifically, um, edgeagency.no is the kind of the day-to-day marketing agency. Okay, so the edge.no is where your aspiring writers and and uh, um, social media semi gurus are going to go if they want to try and work with you. Exactly, yeah. that's where we um, house our blog. It's where we um, have our edge hats. It's where you know. One of the big things about their edge is that we also want to continue to invest in businesses where we see something that's kind of interesting. So that's kind of like the the home base, really. And then edge agency is specifically um, business to business. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, I mean. Email us. See you at the edge, which is see you at the edge dot. No. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Guys, I can't thank you so much for taking the time this morning to sit down and talk to me. It's it's very fun to see that you're still obviously very excited about what you're doing, both jumping in with the agency. And and uh, I, I hope that it continues for a very long time, not just because I want to see it succeed, but because I fucking work for you guys. <laughs> so let's go. Hey, Dennis, super nice to get to spend time with you. Thank you so much. And I'm on point with the time. This is only two minutes. Professional. Very professional, sir. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm getting the hang of it. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to youtube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.
Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. Enjoy.